Spirit of Design delves deep into the unseen elements of design and holistic sustainability. Join us, Amy and Anya, for open conversations with creatives, scholars, activists, and others to envision alternative design futures that are diverse, inclusive, community-centric, and in symbiosis with all life on this planet. guys welcome back to our next episode so today Amy and I are going to be having just a rolling conversation about rhythms particularly around fashion rhythms because that's our background Um, but really this relates to design and to kind of larger rhythms and the ways that we do things in our world particularly in the western world So rhythms, that some of you are asking, what do I mean when I say rhythms? So rhythms, I guess another word for that could be processes, ways of doing, ways of being, kind of the ways at which we are doing things. Now the speeds, the scales, the intensity is very much focused on growth, optimization, efficiency, on immense speed. And that's kind of contributing majorly to our climate crisis and societal crisis that we are in at the moment. So um, particularly when we look at fashion, fashion design rhythms are very fast They operate, well, they have been for a while seasonally. Um, Now they're kind of a bit mixed um, trans-seasonally. But, um, you know, some companies are doing multiple multiple 10-plus collections a year, um, and that obviously means then your production rhythms are very fast. The extraction of natural resources is very fast to be able to create the materials And that obviously feeds into all the pollution, the exploitation of land and people. So that's just a very quick summary of um, the problems that fashion rhythms at present are. But I guess today what I wanted to talk about with with Amy um, is not only the problematic components of our current fashion and design rhythms but you know how can we start to reimagine alternative rhythms for doing things that are more aligned with the earth that are more aligned with this sustainable future that so many of us want so that's a little brief intro to what we'll be talking about today and Amy I know we've talked about this idea a lot what do you think about rhythms particularly around how can we 
what could these alternative working rhythms for fashion and design for sustainability look like? What do you imagine them to be? Well, I guess when I'm looking at our current rhythms and just seeing how crazy and fast-paced they are and unsustainable, and they just require so much from the natural world and from the humans who take part in, in these systems, I think when I'm looking at what alternative rhythms could look like, I'm looking towards nature, Mother Nature, as a guide for what alternative rhythms could look like. Um, and I'm looking at Mother Nature and I'm seeing how she herself has different rhythms. She has slower paces and she has faster paces for different times and different things. I think really looking at her as a guide to kind of inform the, the rhythms and speeds and paces at which we operate is a really, a really healthy starting point for us, I think. Yeah, so I, I think the first place that I would look at is really kind of looking at how can we start to, uh, first of all, just even consider that she has different rhythms and what rhythm she has. And how then can we how then can we align ourselves with the rhythms of Mother Nature? And for me, this is a really, I guess, looking at this um, from a cultural perspective, we can look at different indigenous people groups and different um, earth-based people groups around the world and how they have lived in harmony with Mother Nature and have become intimately acquainted with her natural rhythms. And by nature, these communities and cultures have lived far more sustainably um, than we in the West currently do because of that respect and that understanding of those natural rhythms. And when she's in flux and when she's, you know, slower and when she's in a, um, you know, in a growing season and when she's in a kind of winter season. And I think it's really, she's the first place that I look um, when we talk about rhythms and alternative rhythms. What about you? What what comes to mind for you when you're thinking about and considering alternative rhythms? Yeah, I think there is that massive um, aspect associating it with nature and how we can be reverently inspired by her, particularly when you look at nature's rhythms like you were saying, Amy. When we look at nature down to a molecular level under a microscope, there actually exists a diversity of scales and sizes and speeds and, you know, large and small merged with fast and slow. And this variety, this diversity actually supports one another to actually be able to resiliently sustain the ecosystem. Like this diversity of rhythms is needed for resilience and for um, the healthy thriving of the ecosystem. There's, you know, that's why mo uh, things like monocultures don't really work because it's so much of the same thing. And when we look at our human systems, I would like to suggest, and I do believe this, that, you know, as humans we are interconnected with nature and we are part of nature, yet our systems have gone so far away from how nature works and have become 
you know, mass industrialized and very much in this monoculture sort of way of doing things that there's this one size fits all approach. And I, this is what's just like, that's killing so much of our biodiversity and our resources and hurting a lot of people along the way um, because of this one way of doing things. And I think that has a lot to do with the definitions in our Western society of what success looks like, of this kind of, like I mentioned before, these ideas around growth, continual growth and optimization, efficiency um, for profits, that to be deemed a successful brand or company business, um, you need to be growing, you know, increasing your um your profits and margin, your quantities, and those rhythms are actually not sustainable for everyone. And that's what we're seeing like become manifest in fashion's contribution to climate change emissions, which is at 10% at the moment. And that doesn't even count for all the other pollution and extraction and exploitation that it causes. Yeah, that would be my take on it. I love that you touched on how when you go down to the molecular level, there's big and small and fast and and slow and and also on monoculture and how there's a monoculture of kind of crops and things like that. And also there's a monoculture within our human cultural spaces. And what came up for me when you said that was that I was thinking about how nature has these natural rhythms and she has... Um, you know, plants are supposed to have companion plants and there's this whole ecosystem that works together and interconnects and the fast and slow of that. And then when we look at fashion, but also in other industries, when we look at the speed and pace, the singular kind of mono speed and pace at which we expect everything and everyone to work, this quote unquote efficiency, um, that doesn't honor fast and slow and big and small and the, the natural rhythms of nature. We see things like designers and creatives being caught up in this whirlwind of season to season and just having to keep up to this pace and burning out and becoming, you know, there's a huge culture of um, mental health issues. And that, and I think a huge part of that is that we're not honoring those fast and slow and, and it does take an honoring of those natural rhythms and paces and big and small in order for us to have a thriving ecosystem. But it also, you know, for us as humans, we can see how that's not happening within when we're looking at fashion, we're, we're looking at this kind of singular pace. We can see how that's impacting the health of the natural world and the human impact that it's having and that it's clear that that's not what's happening. And it seems to me as if were we to begin to honor those natural natural rhythms and those um, natural paces, I would suggest we would notice an influx of creativity, first of all, but that also we would notice an influx of fulfillment and um, a decrease in the unsustainable practices, the unethical practices. I, I, I feel like a lot of that is attached to the rhythm that we currently operate by yeah absolutely and I feel like that kind of leads on to what could these alternative rhythms in design 
for sustainability look like that aren't just operating um, in this linear one-size-fits-all mindset, this growth mindset? What could this look like? Well, I think you touched a little bit on it before when you were talking about needing new definitions and markers for success. I, I think by allowing ourselves to create new definitions of markers for success, we can really from there then give ourselves the permission to really dive into and look into what does that look like for me and my business or you know the the business that I'm working for what does that look like in a wider context and mm. Mm. yeah and I feel like this isn't easy to do especially you know obviously it's a privilege for us to be having this conversation but if you're working for a company how much rain do you really have in changing its rhythms like it's it's tricky because you know in the in the western Western society, you know, things are so segmented in how they are, even though we are starting to see things slowly change and a lot of um, kind of grassroots movements and varied systems are happening on the outskirts of the larger system at play. But it's not easy to do when there's kind of all this um, quote-unquote noise, you know. So it's like how can you, whether you're working for yourself or you're or a company or um, studying, how can you actually tap into and tune into what rhythms your body and yourself want you to create under? Even if you're not able to fully execute those now, how can you start to even listen and perhaps develop an intuition for varied markers for success? So what does success mean to you? Perhaps success means to you how much community can you cultivate through your business how much connection can you cultivate through your business Um, how much land restoration can you create through your business or how how creatively fulfilled and of service can you feel through your business as opposed to how much like profit and growth can I generate and of course money is important because that's what we need to survive and thrive in the world if we're being honest but um, how can we kind of move beyond that as well to finding these different rhythms and ways of doing design Mm. I think you're right it is really hard to kind of when you're stuck in the system and when you're kind of plugged into that whole matrix it is really hard to um to really even have the space to consider alternative rhythms. But I do think that also in itself is something we need to look at. Like we've for so long, we've been told the way that it's supposed to be done. And there's not a lot of critical thinking when it comes to us as a collective. Like, is this the way we want it to be done? Is this the, you know, are we okay with this? And I I think more and more, that critical thinking is happening and that's why you're seeing movements like you are at the moment in this kind of really mass scale movements, um, environmental movements. But uh, until now we very, we very much kind of went along with business as usual. And as you're like talking about bringing it back to yourself, I think, and, and questioning where can you, where can you, like, what do you have control of in terms of rhythms if you're working for a, a company 
But I think even if you hone it down further, just singularly to the self, and you ask the question of like, what are those markers of success for myself? So am I in, if I don't have control over rhythms within the company that I'm working in, and these rhythms don't align with me, and I, I don't feel like these rhythms are conducive to a sustainable, um, you know, way of operating to a more sustainable, the future that we want to create together. If that's not true for me, then can I hone down to myself and can I ask myself the question, what is my definition of success? And is this company that I'm working for right now, is the job that I'm in right now, is it because I have held somebody else's version of success? And I I would say, based on my own previous like experiences and based on what other people have told me, oftentimes we hold positions and jobs that are often, you know, maybe they start out because that was a dream of ours, but we hold on to them oftentimes because of ego, because that's what the world has told us makes us successful. If we hold that position in that company, we then are quote unquote successful and on the right path to being, you know, ticking all the boxes or whatever. So if, if we hone down and that's not true for everyone, but if we are willing to hone down to ourselves and to actually consider what do my definitions of success look like, where have I sold off that definition of success or, you know, to somebody else, uh, or to somebody else's way of, you know, marking success, perhaps if we can begin with ourselves, we can first of all even ask the question, is this what I truly want to be participating in? Uh, if not, can I make a different decision that isn't based on ego or somebody else's markers of success or definitions of success and perhaps remove myself from that system if it's not in alignment? And I, I'm saying all of this very aware that None of these are easy things to do. But if we begin to question these things, even if it's still too scary to, to actually take action on them, we can at least begin to imagine and ask questions and sit with it a bit. Mm, yeah, I, I love how you bring up this idea around criticality. And I think, yeah, you, you know, we a lot of these things we can't change instantly, but if we can start to think about them critically and start to reimagine perhaps alternative possibilities, then we're moving in the right direction. And what I, I really love um, Danielle Laporte's work around goal setting and well, she doesn't believe in it. She kind of believes in desires and she talks about instead of trying to reach this goal to as a marker for success, why don't you ask yourself how you want to feel, how you want to feel, and then go for that, go for creating that feeling. And, and I, I, when I first heard it, it was very revolutionary to me because it, it's completely tapping into what you want for yourself, and that's going to be so different for everyone else. How do you want to feel? How do you want to feel in your business? How do you want to feel when you're creating? How do you want to feel when you're designing how do you want to feel when you're putting your work out into the world and someone's interacting with it, using it? How do you want to feel as opposed to what, what can you get? Because it's never really that end goal. 
that we want. It's, it's that feeling that's associated with it. That's so good. And what I love about that is that it takes you back to your humanness, to the animal side of yourself, back to the natural side of yourself, because instead of intellectualizing and rationalizing what other people have defined um, for you, you're going back to yourself, to your natural instinctive, that natural instinctive part of yourself, and you're operating from that place rather fr- rather than from the intellectual space, which we've developed over time um, within other people's markers of, you know, what is right and wrong and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's so beautiful that you brought that up because I think that's a really, really powerful place to start for people um, who are just beginning to engage with this is like, what do you want to feel like? And what is it that if you like, what is it that you want to feel in your body while you do this? What is it that you want to feel, um, you know, when you're creating things and when you're in your work and mm, that's such a good Mm. question. I feel also, I just want to add that kind of this felt and this experienced experiential element is really missing from this sustainability movement. And I feel we've gone so far the other way into the rationalization and the intellectualization that we do. We need to start feeling again, really, and experiencing, um, because that's such an integral part of our humanness and also tapping into our bodies, embodying these things. So I I feel that's something that's been coming up for me a lot lately, trying to get out of their head and more move more into the body, into the, you know, into the intuition, into the experiential element. So I'm sure there's quite a few of you that are listening that are wondering, okay, but how does this look in practice? It's all sounding very nice and philosophical at the moment, but can we get back to the real world, please? Because I know I would be asking that question. But don't worry, we have a lot of practical examples that we might go into now. What do you reckon, Amy? Yeah, I think there's so many places where you can look for um, examples of those slower rhythms. Um, even if you're just looking at traditional ways of making and the, the pace and time it took to make something. Like, for example, Suzani cloth. Um, so in Tajikistan, where I grew up, they, their traditional cloth is Suzani it was one of the traditional um that is an embroidered cloth and it's something that's given in dowries and also our traditional dance garments have suzani on them and um i've got a lot of pieces of suzani in my house and a traditional suzani kind of cloth can take up to nine months to hand embroider and even just that process of somebody touching something with the dedication and the commitment to something for nine months for one singular piece which is going to be handed down to me that is a perfect example of a slower rhythm you create this intimacy with this cloth you create this kind of to me it's like a it's a creating this intimate relationship with this cloth where you know every inch of it because for nine months you've stared at it and you've touched it and there's been this kind of give and take between the 
embroiderer, the crafter, and, and the cloth. And for me, that's really a powerful relationship and a, and a, and a profoundly slower rhythm than what we're used to. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so many examples of that, even traditional um, spinners, um, you know, the process of spinning something and that whole process you have to go through to create, to get to the point where you've harvested or you've harvested the fibers, then you've spun them and then you've woven them. And then this, this whole long process that we're now trying to, you know, speed up as much as we can. And I think really there, you know, that's not possible for everyone, but I think we can really look at places where there are these alternative slower rhythms and, you know, we can sense that there's something so beautiful about the way that thing was made, the way, about the way that cloth was created. There is this sense when you touch a cloth that has that much touch that's gone into it, there's a sense that that, that piece of cloth is special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think art, global artisans everywhere really present us with these examples of alternative fashion rhythms and, you know, a lot of the time these things are made um, um, amongst family, like amongst the family chores and bringing up the children and it's not like this nine-to-five making rhythm, which is quite interesting as well. Um, I think another example that just popped into mind is around this idea of localism, um, fibre shed, if anyone has heard of that. There's fiber shed movements all over the world now, but it did start in America um, where this woman called Rebecca Burgess started this textile experiment to see if she could kind of grow fiber, um, spin and weave it and put it into clothing all within a 200-kilometer radius of where she was. And she was able to do this and it's actually expanded and um expanded into creating things and also educating around these ideas and I know there's one in Australia now and I think they're global did this idea of you know keeping everything from the fiber local and the clothing production so that's another example and they obviously do not follow any trends so-called trends or seasons and it's really about um, developing that relationship with the land and also the people. It's creating community and connection, which is something that we are so lacking in these times. You know, we're living the most connected, so-called connected that we've ever been, but loneliness is on the rise as well as mental illness, like you touched on before, Amy. So if your processes can cultivate community and connection I mean my gosh what a vision I think another example that came to mind is a company it's a new startup called Far Farm and what they're doing is I recently interviewed them actually for the Lisa magazine coming out that we've chatted about before on here um, later this year and what they do is they grow material fibers. So they're based in the Amazon in Brazil and they grow material fibers like organic cotton, hemp, jute, I think a few other things. 
um, through agroforestry methods. So for those of you that don't know, agroforestry methods, it's, it's a way of farming, of um, working with the land to create co- crops, but through the rhythms of the rainforest. So this man named Ernst Grosch, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, kind of he examined the processes of the rainforest and really looked at how there were these large species of plants next to really small species of plants and real a lot of diversity and range that was supporting one another to kind of create this beautiful and healthy thriving ecosystem that there is still in parts of the Amazon. And he was looking at it and examining it. And this is obviously a very brief explanation of how it all started. And he thought, wow, like, could we do this for the cultivation of, of other crops, like for food, as opposed to just growing everything in monocultures, which we now know is destroying the soil and destroying the land. Like, if we look at the drought that we currently have here in Australia, um, a lot of people will attest that that is because the land has not been farmed in aligning with Mother Nature's rhythms because of the monoculture use of the land that actually um, creates the drought, to put it quite simply. And so he developed this method called agroforestry, mimicking the rainforest systems and processes, and he found that through doing this, it actually regenerated all um, kind of deserts and soil that have, hasn't been able to be farmed and actually created more moisture in the air and more rainfall. And um, was the com- communities of people in the Amazon were able to grow food in and, in and amongst the plant crops and were able to create a livelihood from that. And Far Farm, what they've done is now they've come in and in and amongst the food and other plant species, they're growing the plant fibres. So it's like this incredible interwoven system that's not only supporting the soil, it's sequestering carbon, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cleaning the soil, it's supporting communities and also creating new kind of regenerative textiles so they're still in their startup phase. I'm not sure. I think they've just created their first textile just because it obviously takes a few years to kind of cultivate these crops. Um, so they've been very inspiring as to creating these alternative rhythms for how textiles are created and fibres are grown in a very different and new way, which is completely aligned with Mother Nature's rhythms. That's so cool. It's what was really interesting to me as you were saying that it seemed to me these kind of plant communities that are taking place in the plants are growing amongst each other and supporting each other and and it, this this kind of community creates this resiliency of its of its own. When you're looking at that versus monoculture, uh, monocrops and things like that, you can see the, the huge difference in how one is resilient and one is not, and one is beneficial for the, you know, for the wider ecosystem and not. But when you take that into our human experience, that community, that connection that, you know, Mother Nature is modeling for us there and saying to us, this, you as part of 
me, you as nature, humans as nature, we need that community for our own resilience. There is an interweaving of community amongst this this work, and we're lacking that in the Western, in our Western world, in so many senses. Um, and it's just we also need that within a human context for ourselves. And you touched on that, but I just, I just wanted to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and thank you for reiterating that. I think if we are going to reimagine, envision these new systems, I feel like I'd like to say that they need, they have to incorporate this community and this connective element. I don't think we can be doing things so much on our own, even though um, I know we've touched on this before in other episodes that we can still be, you know, there still can be this individual element to what we create and design, but we do need to start working more collaboratively and collectively because we are all interconnected and because to be able to bring these futures into reality, it's going to not just take one of us but actually take these interconnected groups of people working together for the same vision. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, I think though, it's our fascination with the individual and our need to be recognized and um, defined as an individual. And as such a Western, a Western way of doing things, I think it's, it's, it's our commitment to being individualistic that kind of leaves us with that fear that, oh, we won't we won't have our own individual kind of place and we won't have our own, we won't be recognized for what is our own if we have this community. And I think part of that, you know, disconnection, a part of it has been that um, rise of the individual. But when we look at nature as a model, you don't look at, let's just say the rainforest as an example. And there are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of thousands upon thousands of different species of, um, animal life and plant life there and you don't see you don't see within that community you don't see the the little insect saying to the tree I'm the insect you need to be an insect like me and I think that because we are so because our culture has become so homogenized uh in so many ways we're really fearful of letting go of that individual status but when we look at nature as a model you know that the the insect isn't obsessed with making everybody else an insect it just is the insect and the tree is the tree and neither is better or worse than the other each has its place each has its purpose but it doesn't go around saying I'm a tree everyone look at me everyone else be a tree and I I think for me when I look at nature like that I'm like well it's it's our obsession with that it, and it's our fearfulness of being caught up in that kind of culture of homogenization that just has us clinging to this sense of individuality but we're missing out on community in doing so and I, I feel like we're going to have to take some brave steps if we, you know, if we're really to desire creating alternative rhythms and alternative futures than what we're currently tracking towards. Mm, absolutely. It does seem like it's the next steps moving forward to be transitioning to these new ways of working. 
whatever that may look like because a lot of it is still unknown but how exciting. So I feel like that might be a really beautiful ending to this short but sweet podcast of where we've kind of introduced you to a few different ideas around rhythms and was there anything else perhaps you wanted to add Amy? No I think there's a lot of ideas there to kind of mull through Um, but again as always um, our inbox is open we'd love to hear from you please share your thoughts if you had alternative thoughts or you know we just we just love to you know hear from you if, if there's anything you wanted to chat about from this episode yes please do and perhaps we might come in here soon again and expand on this podcast around rhythms it seems like a big and juicy one which we could take in a lot of different directions thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you soon bye thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation for today's show notes to get in touch or sign up to our mailing list you can find links at the bottom of this episode page and if you are new to our community then head on over to our instagram at sustainability 5.0 and our website www.sustainability5.com and follow along to stay up to date with our upcoming online and in-person events if you found value in today's conversation, then we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Through this, you're helping others to find these important conversations. Have a beautiful and wonderful week, everyone. Bye-bye.